This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett From Zoomer Radio AM 740 And away we go Sunday, October the 3rd, 2010. Welcome. We look skywards uh, tonight for the full uh, two hours. In the second half of the show, actually getting underway in about half an hour, strange lines in the sky. We'll speak with a couple of uh, female chemtrail researchers. Actually, the term chemtrails uh, has been replaced. Serious uh, researchers... Uh, no longer refer to them as uh, chemtrails. They call them persistent jet contrails. Uh, the reason being is that uh, when you start talking in media circles about chemtrails, you get the same sort of eye-rolling uh, that you do, uh, or did, I should say, up until very recently when you talked about UFOs in media circles. But that's starting to change, as we'll discover in just a few moments. But Rosalind Peterson is the California president and co-founder of the Agriculture Defense Coalition. She'll join us. And then, from British Columbia, Este Miller. She's a professional photographer, professional special effects makeup artist, but, uh, uh, well, things changed for her quite dramatically when, earlier this year, six jets bore down above her grandson's ball field and began spraying and they prepared, they laid out this grid in the sky and made sure every blue patch of sky was covered. Toronto is a hot spot for chemtrails as well, I'm told. I haven't seen a great deal of activity, but I, I'm getting emails and uh, voicemails constantly about, did you see this pattern over uh, Etobicoke? And the next day there was this residue on my windshield, and I've got an upper respiratory problem. What in God's name are they spraying on us? We'll talk about chemtrails at uh, 1130 
Wow, what a uh, press conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. We had former U.S. Air Force missile silo commanders going on the record, talking openly about UFOs they have seen interacting and in some cases shutting down nuclear missiles. And this got a great deal of media attention. I was even asked to, uh, to speak on uh, news, uh, the CBC News Network uh, the day after. And I got a serious interview. It wasn't the usual tongue-in-cheek. Journalists, broadcasters are starting to finally get the message that they, they can't ignore this story anymore. Victor Vigiani uh, joins me in studio. Always a pleasure. Victor is the media director from ExoPolitics Canada. Victor, what was your uh, initial take on the uh, the press conference? I was not surprised at all um, about the effect that it had. I, it didn't really um, doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that the way this was being presented and even the way it was, um, I guess, prepared for by both Robert Hastings and, and Captain Salas, that uh, they would both uh, make a real serious dent in the uh, in the truth embargo, and they did a fantastic job of it. And I think that the way they presented themselves and the way the each, each individual officer, uh, ranking officers in the uh, United States Air Force presented themselves, uh, they presented a united front, and they gave good, strong, straight information that the media just loves. And they love to get their teeth into the facts. And that's what they were dealing with, the facts. And I was just very proud to be associated with people in the research community that do a great job like that. You know, first, uh, the, uh, well, I shouldn't say first, but most recently we had the, uh, uh, the Leslie Kane book come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is from a, a, you know, a mainstream working journalist writing a very serious book about it, getting some serious media attention. Then we have uh, uh, this uh, press conference. I'm I'm getting getting the sense that this latest series of events is almost like it's the tipping point in terms of of uh, you know winning winning the public's consciousness yeah, we, on this issue and maybe yeah. even the media's. Sure, I, I think we've always been saying that we're we're on the uh, on the cusp of doing something something breaking through, but I think these last two events really kind of prove that the media has an open ear to this. And when you get uh, the CPC, the National Broadcasting Corporation here in, in Canada, to go countrywide with, with yourself and with, uh, with Captain Salis on a, on, a, on a really great show, you get the impression that somebody in the back rooms is saying, let's, let's just have a little bit deeper look at this. And I've always been a fan and a believer that the Canadian media is a little bit more amorphous. It's a little more easy to get into it, uh, slide into it, than the American media. So I think we're making great inroads in this country in respect to that. Well, certainly, the uh, the man on the forefront in this uh, ongoing battle uh, to end the UFO truth embargo, who recently hosted or organized uh, his own event at the press club back in uh, in May, the X conference, of course. I speak, of course, of Stephen G. Bassett, political activist, Washington D.C. lobbyist, who founded the Paradigm Research Group in 96 to advocate an end to a government-imposed truth embargo. And he joins us on the line. Stephen, welcome once again. Hi, fellas. Good to be with you again. Stephen, your, uh, your take on the, uh, the, the Salas Hastings uh, uh, press conference at the, uh, the press club in Washington. Uh, I, I attended, of course. I'm a member of the club. Uh, there have been, since 97, 
at least a dozen press conferences on this subject at the National Press Club, uh, which, to its great credit, has never refused to have the, allow the subject matter uh, to be part of its uh, uh, agendas. Um, each one, in its own way, has bent the press's resolve a little bit more. I, I think the, the impact of the May 9th Disclosure Project press conference has been very much underappreciated. I think it was quite significant uh, and would have had more impact had not 911 taken place just four months later. And I can assure you that nothing else was on the table after that. Um, and then, of course, Leslie Kane and James Fox held a very strong press conference in November of uh, 2007, which was the, the basis for the book that she just wrote, which is doing very well, uh, UFOs, generals, pilots, and uh, government officials speak out on UFOs. Um, and again, it, it just bends the press, pushes a little bit more on them. And this one, I think, definitely made an impression. Um, there are a number of reasons. The cumulative effect of all of this, for one. Secondly, the cohesiveness of the issue. Uh, they were all pretty much speaking to the same issue, but all as witnesses all Air Force. Uh, and then the fact that Robert Hastings, a researcher, uh, helped organize it. He, he does the book, UFOs and Nukes, and of course he interviews everybody uh, connected to that subject matter. He's got a full grasp of it. And then with Robert Salas, they put the thing together. So I mean, it's the perfect package. It's just great. Uh, and of course, the, the nuke issue is a national security matter, so it's a perfect hook for the press. It's a little so bit of timing, really, too, yeah. isn't it? Because, uh, I mean, you did a great job with the X conference, as always, and there was some pretty compelling evidence that came out of that conference, and unfortunately, the timing wasn't so good because you had the uh, the Supreme Court justice being named on that very day, and and so, you, you know, we didn't you didn't get the kind of press attention that it deserved. So, I mean, how much of this is also sort of timing and luck with the, with the news cycle? Mm. Uh, this, this, this press conference was special. Uh, look, everything we do adds a little extra weight to the scales until they tip. You know how the scale is, right? And, 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 and you keep adding weight until you add that last couple of ounces, it doesn't tip. It's exactly the same thing. Um, uh, everything helps, but this conference was special. Um, the timing of it was excellent, following Leslie Kane's work uh, and book coming out. Um, and the, the quality of the witnesses, the cohesiveness of the message, um, was just something the press couldn't get around. It just, they, 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 they knew they had to cover this. And so they were there. I mean, there was about 24 reporters. There it was about eight, nine camera crews. CNN live streamed it. Uh, they don't archive their live streams, but guess what? It was captured in archive. Now it's on YouTube and you can find it in multiple locations. So you can watch the whole thing. Um, they had a, they obviously had affidavits, the usual thing. Uh, and it's also a couple of years later. I mean, every year that goes by, the truth embargo weakens. So we're right close to the tipping point. Now, if you go to paradigmresearchgroup.org uh, and go through the front page and get to the portal page, there you can you go to the media archive, media watch archive. I, I'm archiving the coverage of that press conference. I've got about 120 articles there now 
some have video, and then I've got about nine or ten video clips from television coverage uh, that's also part of the archive. The total number of stories done, I think, is roughly between 400 and 500, including virtually every paper in the United Kingdom of size. Um, the networks stood down, by and large, so they did do some follow-up, a couple of interviews. Uh, Fox News was far more prominent, and almost all of the major city Fox affiliates did a segment on this. So the coverage was quite substantial. Now, under the truth embargo, what happens, though, is that, you know, come someone comes forward and says something extraordinary. You'd interview them, and then you stop, right? And that, that here's where we have to solve that. We have to move to the next level. All right, well, let's find out uh, what's in store, what's next. I mean, what's going to um, actually put the puck in the net? Is it one more press conference? Is it one more? Is it Richard Dolan's book? A.D. after discovery or after disclosure. Uh, back with uh, more of our conversation with Stephen G. Bassett, Victor Vigiani, as we talk about the fight to end the UFO truth embargo. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Stephen Bassett. Declassified U.S. government documents and witness testimony from former or retired U.S. military personnel confirm beyond any doubt the reality of ongoing UFO incursions at nuclear weapons sites. When I say UFO, the witnesses have described these craft as disc-shaped or cylindrical-shaped or spherical. These objects are capable of both hovering and high-velocity flight, usually completely silent. Over the past 37 years, I have personally located and interviewed more than 120 of these former or retired military personnel, all of whom report UFO incidents at one or more of the following locations. Nuclear missile sites, nuclear weapons storage areas, and nuclear weapons test sites in Nevada and the Pacific during the era of atomic atmospheric testing. Sometime in the evening hours on March 24th, I received a call from one of my top side guards flight security controller stating that they had been observing strange lights in the sky making odd maneuvers and wanted to report it uh, I thought it was kind of a strange report but I took it seriously you have to understand we were protecting nuclear weapons and the reports we generally got were very professional at any rate I kind of dismissed the call he called back about five minutes later this time he was screaming into the phone saying uh, they're uh, looking at an object a red glowing object hovering just above our front gate Regarding the missile shutdown incidents, my opinion, their opinion, is that whoever are aboard these craft are sending a signal to both Washington and Moscow, among others, that we are playing with fire, that the possession and threatened use of nuclear weapons potentially threatens the human race and the integrity of the planetary environment. There you go. That's a, um, a snippet or two from the um, the recent press conference at the press club in Washington. Uh, James uh, uh, Robert Salas and James Hastings. Uh, Hastings, the author of Robert Hastings. Thank you, Victor. Robert Hastings, author of uh, UFOs and Nukes. And uh, 
the the media follow-up actually was very uh, encouraging. Uh, Stephen G. Bassett is uh, with us uh, in Washington and uh, in studio. Victor Vigiani from Exopolitics Canada. Victor, you had, had a very interesting point. Uh, yeah. Why this this press conference was taken with such seriousness and it just had to do with something that might have been very superficial. Well, I, I just kind of watched the many, I think probably Stephen did too, the many uh, presentations uh, that the, they were on video on the internet and of, of Robert Hastings particularly. And just in terms of optics, and it sounds superficial, but as you said earlier, you know, presidents are made that way. Um, just in terms of optics, Robert Hastings has a look about him. Just the way he dressed uh, the suit, the tie, the the nice crispy white shirt. Uh, his his whole demeanor was was extremely uh, executive looking, and I think to some editors and some television people that has a lot of appeal. Not only is he saying things of value of worth, he's also looking the part too. Now that's not to say that others don't, but it has an advantage to come off that way, especially when you're on national television as, as, as he was with CNN. So I'm not sure, Steve, how, how do you look at that particular aspect of the way the presentation was done? It's not trivial. I mean, it's not inconsequential. Um, I can assure you that the media is more than capable of, of dismissing and making fun of anybody. Of course, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, they, they were as serious as a heart attack they were straightforward, but you know, these are former Air Force guys. I mean, look, there's no question that they need to be listened to. Uh, the question is, is the media going to do what it has to do? Is it going to do its job properly? Now, for this to go forward, a couple of things need to happen. One, uh, hopefully both Robert Hastings and Bob Salas will seek out and, and get as many additional on-camera interviews as possible over the next week or so. That will be helpful. Um, but where things could get really interesting is if the media is willing to cross the line, uh, in other words, the line that the truth embargo sort of had, that imaginary line that has been laid down there that you're not allowed to cross, because here's what's supposed to happen absent the truth embargo. You have a number of military officers, Air Force officers, who have said that this 30 to 60 feet in diameter came down, hovered a few hundred feet over a sack base, and turned the missiles off. Now, what's supposed to happen is a whole a significant number of reporters should be heading straight over to the Pentagon and talking to the Pentagon spokesperson to pose questions to Robert Gates, uh, Secretary Gates, Secretary of Defense Gates. Uh, these statements have been made. Did this happen? What do you know about it? Uh, uh, how often did it happen? What was the government's action, etc.? They should be going to Secretary Donnelly, the Secretary of the Air Force, and asking the same exact question. Now, if they do that, I can assure you, things will get really interesting really fast. Well, I had... uh, but under the truth embargo, they would, in other words, you, you, you can cover to a point, but then you must stop because to go any further would endanger the truth embargo, and the understanding is we don't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had a, a long conversation with Vicki Stein, uh, the public relations, uh, one of the public relations officers at the United States Air Force. I went through, and I'm not kidding you, Stephen, I went through at least 17 uh, tele- t- different telephone numbers before I got to this individual. And uh, I asked her, I said, you know, are you, first of all, are you aware that the press conference happens? And then she cut right, oh, yes, we're aware that it happened. Mm-hmm. And, and the response, just the way, it, the, the quickness of her response. And I said, do you think this is a national security issue? And that's when she started to backpedal. 
and she she referred me back to their fact sheet about the the Condon committee and all that other kind of um, yeah, right. garbage. Yeah, uh, but it yeah. was just the the fact that the United States Air Force is following this, and the next step to that would be uh, you know the the Secretary of Defense having some sort of knowledge of this. So there's absolutely no question in my mind that the Secretary of Defense is well aware of what's going on, what has gone on, and in Bob Salas's okay. treatises about this, he makes it very clear that it's gone up the line more than once. Oh, yeah, no, the government's fully aware. The government knows about this. The Air Force knows about this. The question is whether they're going to say anything about it, whether they're going to be, whether the truth embargo is going to, to come to an end because of the work that we're doing, eventually triggering a set of circumstances that push the government in a position where it has no choice but to acknowledge the ET press. That's what this is all about. This conference, this, this press conference has helped a great deal. It's given us, you know, a number of hooks, and, uh, and I'm, working, I'm doing what I can. Other, other people are going to step in. Uh, and one of the most important things is uh, there's a lot of, it. as 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 uh, Robert Hastings said, he'd interviewed 120 people. He also stated, and this was somewhat startling, that there have been a number of events in the last eight years, but the people that that he's talking to about it are still serving and are not prepared to come forward. Right. And so there have been more recent events that he is not yet prepared to, to to write them publicly because the witnesses are serving members of the, of the Air Force and don't want to come out. So this is quite startling to me, but yet important. Again, there's only so much longer we, the game can go on. By the way, for those that would like a, a powerful visual, uh, a very visceral connection to the, the nuclear issue and, and why perhaps the ETs might care about it, there is an interesting video that has turned up on YouTube recently. It is called Nuclear Detonation Timeline. 1945 to 1998. I encourage your listeners to go to YouTube, uh, search up nuclear detonation timeline 1945 to 1998, and watch this 10-minute video. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is. I want you to figure it out for yourself. It'll take a minute or two, and you'll finally dawn on you what's going on. But boy, does it get the message across big time. Um, there is a huge connection here. We don't know exactly what it is. Uh, these gentlemen deserve some credit. Both Bob Salas and Robert Hastings, Hastings did not pull punches. They matter-of-factly stated. And, and the other gentleman on the panel did not be able to this way. They, they did not make statements. They sort of stood back from this. Some are probably leaning this way. But, but Bob and, and Robert did. They, they stated matter-of-factly that it is their view that this was a message being sent and not a threat and that they, these were extraterrestrials, right? This, they weren't hedging, and this is very important, and I admire them greatly for that. Um, now, there are scores of other guys out there, mostly guys, some women, who are also witness to some of these events, and it's, good, it's very possible they may start coming forward. You may see more witnesses coming forward. Again, you see the dilemma that the Defense Department and the media is in. How long can you play this game. It's an absurd, absurd game, and it no longer serves the national interest. It's quite clear, so, though, Stephen. Don't you think that the uh, the idea of a national security threat, or that it has no effect, the UFOs have no effect on national security, is pretty well uh, a wrung-out rag. It's just, it's, it's had its day. Well, it has national security. Look, there's two things here. Is, is the UFO presence, is the ET presence a national security matter? Of course it is. Then the other question is, are they a threat? That, those are two separate issues. 
the, the, they are, are they a national security matter? Absolutely. Does that make it major news? Absolutely. Should, should key people be asked about it? Absolutely. Why haven't they? Truth embargo. Mm-hmm. Now, are they a threat? That's another matter. We could possibly dis- – we, can, can we discuss that? Would, would Mr. Gates come forward and have a discussion? Of course he can. Truth embargo. And so, again, um, we have to operate on these matters within this somewhat surreal context in which the state – says uh, that uh, the emperor's got a nice set of clothes on, and we're going, no, the emperor's as naked as a jaybird. So this is a problem, but, but we must get through this. And the media is probably, there's one of three things that could happen right now. The government is going to proactively make its move quickly, and disclosure will take place. Boom, it'll happen so fast, you might miss it. Uh, or two, the media is finally going to break out. And suddenly you're going to have a couple of people standing their ground in front of some of these people, leaders, and, and demanding some answers to questions, and that there really isn't any easy answer to. And once that gets rolling, you've got yourself a media frenzy, and, and it's over. Uh, three, another country will preempt the U.S. and simply do it. Uh, the fourth possibility is the ETs will force the action, which they could do, but we'll put that aside because I can't, we have no control over that. Uh, but there's just three possibilities now. The media is going to go uh, explode. Another country is going to act, or the U.S. government will do what it should do, <laughs> and, and that is, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an orderly and appropriate way, get the disclosure event done. Uh, I'd like to say I have high confidence that the government will do that. However, the U.S. government for the last 30 years has got a very bad track record. Stephen, doing what, what should be done yeah. when it should be done. In a short time we have remaining, what I want to ask you is: it's gone Fox, it's gone CNN, it's gone mm-hmm. to other media. Uh, can you run this up the ladder to how long is it going to be before ABC, NBC, and and good old sixty Minutes on CB, uh, CBS? Mm. When how long will it be when they rung up, uh, ring this thing up on their uh, on their newscasts and, and their investigative shows? There was a CBS video clip on this. There was an ABC video clip on this. The networks, I, well, you know, the networks go all the way back to the 50s and even the late 40s, as some of them do, and they were on board the truth embargo from the beginning. Uh, Fox News comes way, way after that, mm-hmm. and so much else of the media, and obviously the Internet. Uh, so the fact is the networks have been in bed with the truth embargo from the beginning, and, and I think to some degree they are greatly concerned about their legacy, about how they're going to be perceived in other words, they're not thrilled about this coming to an end because they know they've got some really tough questions to answer. And so they've compounded their dilemma yeah. by standing down. I mean, the odd documentary, Peter Jennings, and, yeah. and uh, NBC has just stepped into the fray with the event, which is very intriguing, no question. So the networks are doing some things, but are they doing enough? Is it appropriate? No. But they are slowly coming around, but they seem to be the last of the party. Stephen, uh, let me... Uh, and I think it's the truth embargo's history that accounts for that. You mentioned the event. Let me ask you quickly. Some uh, speculation rampant that, that this uh, this program, the premise, we have this uh, uh, internment camp up in Alaska, and the mm. uh, the occupants are not of this world, and uh, so the, the, the program is, the idea is to keep a lid on this, etc. Uh, right. The second E in event is backwards, which in a mathematical formula means this is true. Some people are saying right. uh, that uh, this program is uh, a, sort of a government. Uh, it's a it's a it's a way of acclimatizing the public to the truth about the ETs. Your thoughts on that? Look, 
here's what I know. They they started working on this a couple of years ago. They spent a lot of money. They work with some people in the field. They put them under strict non-disclosure. They, they're serious about this. I think they are aware of these processes going on. They're certainly tapping into them. They're capitalizing on them without question. Uh, what's very interesting about this particular series is that there's some very, very strong 911 uh, threads in there, uh, if you know something about the 911 issue as well. So the NBC is really socking it to the powers that be, you might say, on this. Is it government-inspired? I don't know. We, I don't know how we could. Is it definitely raising the temperature a bit? Yes. Um, and do, do I give NBC some credit for it? Yes. But it's still fiction. What I want is some tough NBC reporter standing in front of Robert Gates tomorrow wanting to know about those 60-foot discs that parked themselves over Malmstrom Air Force Base in 1967. Then NBC. We'll be doing the right thing. All right, very quickly, uh, back from Europe. Tell us about the Exopolitics World Network Cities Initiative. Uh, launched that in Budapest. It's pure grassroots. The uh, Exopolitics World Network. If you've got an Exopolitics group you want to get started and host, register it with the EWN. We put up the city, Exopolitics Hollywood, I mean, Exopolitics Los Angeles, Exopolitics London, whatever, along with the host the email address. Bingo. No rules, no oversight, no you know uh, uh, bylaws. Just set up your group, meet and talk about exopolitics, watch DVDs, whatever. Register with the with the EWN so we can list it. Our goal is 1,000 groups worldwide listed in the next 12 months. And so people can go to that page and find out there's a group and, call, and email the host and say, I want to come over. No problem. It's pure grassroots, all volunteer. Uh, way to start spreading the word, get people involved, and you can find it all at exopoliticsworld.net. All right, uh, Stephen, a pleasure as always, and thank you for this. You're welcome. Victor, always a pleasure. Terrific. Yeah, great to be with you. All right, thank you. Lines in the sky. What are they spraying on us? We'll look at chemtrails when The Conspiracy Show continues after this. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Persistent jet contrails. That's what they're calling chemtrails these days. And they are believed to be actual chemicals, biological agents, being deliberately sprayed at high altitudes for a purpose largely undisclosed to the general public. You've probably seen them. Maybe you've photographed them. Maybe you've posted them to a website. I've heard from many of you over the years, not only here in the Toronto region, which seems to be a hotspot for chemtrail, a spraying or activity, uh, but elsewhere across the country. People want to know, what are these things? Who's spraying them and why? And uh, quite frankly, some researchers in the field affirm that the spraying of these chemicals is being directed by government officials. However, when citizens, concerned citizens, follow up after a, uh, an intense a chemtrail uh, activity by calling their local news station or the airport or the Ministry of Transportation or in the States, the FAA, they don't seem to get very far. No, ma'am, there was no Hercules uh, transport plane in the vicinity last night. You must, you must be mistaken. Uh, no, those are simply the natural 
uh, condensation trails that would be left by a jet. But wait a second. I saw a close-up of this uh, transport plane, and quite clearly the chemicals were not coming out of the engines. They were being sprayed out of the side of the fuselage. Well, obviously you were mistaken. You were seeing something that wasn't there. What indeed are these strange lines in the sky? What are they spraying on us and for what purpose? We're going to delve into this very, very important issue for the next 90 minutes. And joining me from California, Rosalind Peterson, president, co-founder of the Agriculture Defense Coalition, the ADC, was formed in 2006 to protect agricultural crop production from uncontrolled experimental weather modification programs. Is that what we're talking about here? Experimental weather modification programs, perhaps. Atmospheric heating and testing programs. And ocean and atmospheric experimental geoengineering programs. There's a new term for you, geoengineering. Rosalind, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show this evening. It's a pleasure. We should also point out that you have a BA degree from Sonoma State University in Environmental Studies and Planning with an emphasis on solar power, photosynthesis, agriculture, crop production, and the efficient use of energy in the future. You were a keynote speaker at the 60th Annual uh, Conference on Climate Change in New York in 2007 where you spoke about agriculture and the negative impacts of geoengineering and persistent jet contrails on tree and plant health, among other important issues. Este Miller is a professional photographer, professional special effects makeup artist, and she became aware of what's happening in her skies on May 15, 2010, when six jets bore down above her grandson's ball field and began spraying. She says they prepared a grid in the sky and made sure every blue patch of sky was covered. And since that eventful day, Esty hasn't stopped taking photographs of our skies. Esty Miller, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Do either of you uh, have a handle on, uh, on who is spraying the skies in this manner? Is it, a, is it uh, some government department? Is it uh, above the government? A private is it a private corporation who's spraying Rosalind you first um, uh, good question Richard uh, what I'm noticing here in Victoria I live in the Colwood district and for some reason I seem to be right under a jet path uh, jet I have lots of activity above my head always I hear the drone of jets that start almost every night begins at 3 a.m. And sure enough, I'll get up in the morning, and the sky is completely covered with these uh, jet contrails. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that these jets are coming out of Whidbey Island, but it's speculation. Nothing's ever been confirmed. It was that Estee that was, the, was that Estee that just spoke? Yes, it was. Okay, Richard. Rosalind, any handle on who's doing the spraying? Well, um, I can tell you that we're here in Northern California in Mendocino County. And where I live, um, we're not under a direct flight path of commercial airlines. And we're in a military operations area, however, and most of the planes that we see leaving persistent jet contrails um, that turn into these man-made clouds, um, they exacerbate global warming um, by increasing the humidity here terribly. They create a white haze. 
And most of the planes we see here are very large uh, jet airplanes, mostly um, um, U.S. Air Force. So we do know and suspect that it's mostly military. There are a few commercial airlines, but we believe that most of what's going on is being conducted uh, for the most part by the military. Uh, for the uninitiated, for those uh, that haven't seen a, uh, a persistent jet uh, contrail, or maybe they have, but they haven't been able to distinguish between a normal contrail and what used to be called chemtrails, uh, either of you uh, weigh in on a, on a description of, of uh, what these strange lines in the sky actually look like. Um, good, good question, uh, Richard. What I've noticed now for, for months of photographing and observing that it starts out as a normal, persistent jet contrail, and then from this contrail, it spreads out into sifty mock cloud cover. Um, that's a, a very apt description of what's happening in our skies right now. What, did you say fifty mock sky cover? Uh, sifty. What is that? Uh, they what? kind of sift out into streams. Oh, sifty. Okay. Yes. And uh, uh, Rosalind, your description. Okay. What? happens is that um, when these jets um, leave these large plumes, they look like fine lines. And then as they get larger, they look like a white wake behind a speedboat going across the ocean, you know, across the water. And they just, it just looks exactly like a boat wake that's, that's expanding. And as they expand, um, according to um, NASA and other government agencies, the expansion of just one persistent jet contrail can last for 20 hours and cover 4,000 kilometers in size. And it turns into these different types of man-made clouds. Um, it can be black contrails. It can be bursts where you have these big plumes of a white, uh, in other words, a big white blast. Um, it looks like someone threw an ink blot. Um, onto, you know, ink onto a piece of paper, and there's a big ink blot, except it's white. Um, there's different types. We've noticed that there's about 25 now different types of um, these contrails that persist, and we put a poster on my website so that people can look at this poster, and I communicate with people around the world who can tell me what type of plume that they're seeing. So you can have some uh, that just turn into man-made clouds. Some jets just the sky turns into a white haze, which obscures the sun. Kind of, it kind of looks oily almost at times. And then you have other types of trails that um, go into different types of formations. One looks like um, mush, uh, mushrooms um, hanging uh, from a rope. Another one looks like um, just uh, someone tied knots in a rope. So you have a very fine line, and that looks like someone tied knots in them. There's different types of them. So we think that there's different types of experiments being conducted, not just one type of experiment. I'm told that the, uh, the activity, um, uh, this persistent jet contrail, first of all, let me ask you, why do we not call them chemtrails anymore? I was sort of warned away from using that term, but that, I mean, that's the term that that most people that are just becoming aware of this phenomenon refer to them as chemtrails. But why don't we call them chemtrails anymore? Um, I personally uh, stopped using the word within about a month of starting to investigate this phenomenon in 2002 
because um, the United States Air Force, um, all of our agencies like under the Department of Interior, like NOAA and NASA, all have it on had it on their websites dating back to the 1990s that uh, chemtrails were a conspiracy theory or an internet hoax, either one. And so whenever you went to discuss any of these issues with our elected officials or the media, they immediately um, discredited anything that was being said and declared that it was a conspiracy theory and that everything was normal. Uh, Many of us have received letters from the U.S. Air Force um, uh, in other words, stating that there's nothing going on and that this is all a, people just are believing that this is a conspiracy theory. So it was very difficult to um, get this past our elected officials because the military was telling them that there was nothing going on and that everything was normal and looked the same as it did 50 or 100 years ago in our skies. Well, you're, you're among friends here. I mean, we could use chemtrails, but if you're not comfortable with that, I'll... Uh... I'll I'll call them uh, a persistent jet contrails, although it's a bit of a mouth uh, mouthful, I must say. Uh, well, I found out very early in this uh, sending out my inquiries to Navigation Canada, Transport Canada, our Defence Minister, that you do not mention chemtrails. That if you want a response back, um, as silly as it can be, sometimes the responses you're you're best to um, in your adjectives when you're describing what's happening in our skies. To describe them as persistent jet contrails, Rosalind's 100% right about that. What, what's, or you just don't get taken seriously. Uh, when these uh, persistent jet contrails, uh, I guess, ultimately condense and, and, and fall to the ground uh, um, as, as, I don't know, rain or whatever comes to the ground. I, I mean, I get reports, people say they, on the windshield the next morning they find some yellow film or some granular, <clears throat> excuse me, granular substance. Have, has anyone analyzed this substance? What's in there? Um, we have gotten several reports, and we've tried to find out what's in there. But uh, testing laboratories, unless you tell them what to test for or are willing to spend um, tens of thousands of dollars trying to find what it is, um, it's either very expensive to do or um, the, the things that we've tried testing for um, come up negative. So we haven't been able to make a determination about the yellow and the orange powder, um, some of those things, uh, the gel that people find. Uh, there's a stringy substance, a kind of a clear stringy substance that people find. But we haven't been able to make a determination for sure exactly what this is. But you must have uh, uh, members of your research community now that have uh, degrees in, I don't know, uh, chemistry and so forth. I mean, if there was something as obvious as barium oxide or aluminum particulates in there, they'd be able to identify those, would they not? Oh, yes. The laboratories here can identify those very easily. And 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 do these chemtrails contain barium oxide and aluminum particulates? I'm going to take a deep breath here, and I'm going to say that I can prove that the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy is conducting atmospheric testing using aluminum, barium, trimethyl aluminum, um, aluminum oxide, strontium, and a whole host of other chemicals. And right. they're using it, um, but, they, but they send it up via rockets or the space shuttle. 
and we have the documents on the website to show. So we do know that there would be exposure and spikes in our drinking water supplies because we've t taken a good look at that from those sources. Whether the sources come from the jets specifically or not, um, I have not been able to discover that. Okay, hold it right there. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Also want to uh, thank Brian Holmes, who helped put this uh, program together tonight on uh, Chemtrails, put me in touch with these two wonderful female chemtrail or persistent jet contrail researchers, Rosalind Peterson and Este Miller, who joined me on the line, Brian Holmes. And uh, if you want more information on chemtrails, of course, we'll, um, we'll give you Ro Rosalind's and uh, Este's websites. But I also want to, uh, uh, to draw your attention to uh, Brian's website, www.homestead.ca, www.homestead.ca. And he's doing uh, uh, some ter terrific work uh, up in, uh, in Tiny Township. Uh, and uh, as he continues to investigate and uh, shine a light on this uh, rather disturbing phenomenon known as uh, persistent jet contrails. Uh, Rosalind, you just gave us a litany of um, uh, toxic ingredients that you, you are quite confident are being sprayed on an unsuspecting public. Uh, you mentioned strontium, uh, barium, aluminum, why on earth would they be doing this? Why is the military spraying this stuff on us? Well, uh, what they're doing is they're conducting, um, using rockets and the space shuttle, they're releasing um, for upper atmospheric tests and ionospheric testing, they're conducting different types of experiments. And so what happens is that, uh, for example, the U.S. Navy put up um, on September 19, 2009, an aluminum oxide dust cloud over the um, eastern seaboard of the United States um, shot a rocket up and just uh, released this, this huge aluminum oxide dust cloud, which would expand over time. And then they had universities and the Navy conducting atmospheric testing um, with uh, making different kinds of clouds and different things uh, during the course of this test which lasted uh, for some time. So uh, there's a lot of experimentation going on in the upper atmosphere and has been going on for uh, 20, 25 years in some cases. Uh, the the um, CREST program, which is a NASA-U.S. Air Force joint program, um, sends canisters attached to the uh, space shuttle or rockets, and they release them at different heights in the atmosphere, superheat them, and then there's a chemical reaction, and uh, these chemicals then disperse, and they conduct these experiments. Um, these experiments and the actual write-ups in the NASA studies are on my website, and they're all public record. Well, if they're public record, uh, and these are simply experiments, and maybe they're trying to, uh, to draft Mother Nature, we know, we've known for some time that the military uh, wants to... Uh, uh, to be able to master the weather, create weather. I mean, they've, they've, they, they have to a certain extent. Going back to the Vietnam War, they were seeding rain clouds over the Ho Chi Minh Trail, etc. Uh, why would they be 
so secretive about it? Why, when people call and complain to the Ministry of Transportation or the FAA, uh, do they get stonewalled? Well, that's a good question. Go ahead, Esty. Okay, thanks, Rosalind. That's a very good question, uh, Richard. I've contacted every media source across North America. The only um, response I had was from a Western correspondent from Toronto Star who asked if she could use my pictures and that she'd been following the story for a very long time, but there was a lot of, um, there was a uh, moratorium on the subject matter. They weren't allowed to talk about it. They weren't allowed to do stories on it. And I thought that that just simply can't be true. But as I carried on with my uh, letters and inquiries to Transport Canada, our Defence Minister, Navigation Canada, our Comox military, who, by the way, gave me the most uh, honest answer out of everyone. He pointed his fingers at the United States and said that there was a lot that they weren't telling us. And I actually posted his response on my uh, Skywatch site because it was the most uh, honest response that I'd had thus far. I'm still um, confused why we, we can't seem to get any response from uh, radio, television. Nobody wants to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Let's grab a couple of calls here. Uh, let's welcome a good friend of the program and uh, occasional uh, contributor, Nelson Thal. Hey, Nelson. Well, it's a great show, a lovely topics, Richard. Thank you, Nelson. And, yeah, uh, um, you know, this touches my heart, this issue, because, of course, I've been a holder of a commercial pilot license uh, and a jet rating for both fixed-wing and helicopters for 40 years. And I've done a lot of flying, uh, and I know a lot of air traffic controllers. Um, it, if you remember, Richard, the Maharar case in Canada, he was um, part of the P-TECH software group, that they use, they've installed software so that these flights that overrun, if you speak to the air traffic controllers, they'll tell you, well, if we punch in a commercial flight above a certain altitude at a certain time, the computer won't give us that route. So they can control the routes of these planes and fly them around. Uh, I call them Prince Philip Airlines, of course. We could go into Lyle on a, on a show, Richard, you and I. Right, right. But uh, they, they, they uh, just like they, they were able to fool NORAD um, on 9-11, the, the air traffic controllers don't even see these planes going overhead because their computers are set just to pick up the transponder. They don't put it on raw data. And the transponder is picked up by the computer, and the computer puts it on their screen. So lots of flights can fly over, and air traffic controllers aren't going to see them. Interesting. And that's, of course, how they're doing it. Interesting. Is there a uh, has a as a pilot, or someone, uh, and anyone uh, can jump in and answer this? Has, I mean, is there a a deep throat in the in the chemtrail world that has come forward and said, "Yes, I was I was aboard one of these Hercules transport planes, or whatever they are." Uh, and has, has, has fessed up to this? Well, I've had on my website a picture of the inside cabin, which I got from a, from a pilot. Inside cabin of a what? Of the, of the chemtrail sprayers, with the, showing the tanks, the tankers and the big tanks, mm-hmm. all set up with the leading, and then looking at the aileron with the, with the pipes coming out from underneath the ailerons where they comes out. Interesting. So, you know, it, there, there are guys, but uh, I guess they don't, you know, it's pretty dangerous. One would imagine. Rosalind, are you aware of any, any uh, whistleblower? Um, none that's going to come forward and speak publicly on the issue, no. 
and uh, the the military has a pretty cl- tight clamp on this, and I don't think that they always tell the pilots what the what what they're doing, and what the purpose is either. They just tell them you do this, and uh, then you can fly around and then go home. So I I'm not I'm not so sure that they are aware of of if they're spraying anything, what it what it might be. Um, I'm sure that the people that uh, take care of well, the when they do the walk around of that plane part of the daily inspection, they sure take a look. Uh, the second officer does a full walk around. He'd see it. He'd know. They'd know. But they would lie to them and tell them, well, this is. Uh, good for the air, or some BS. They'd make up some BS and lie to them, and they're not going to go figure out what it is. They just fly the plane. They get the flying hours, and what do they care? Well, I think a lot, yes, that's true, Richard. The pilots don't know what what's happening. I, I do believe that. But they know that the plane's different from a normal plane because they have to do the walk-around as part of their inspection in order to sign off the journey log. Well, in other words, uh, somebody out there knows, maybe they suspect, uh, but of course, it's the fur line trap. They have, uh, they've got a pension, they've got a family, they've got a mortgage, right? Uh, and that's how they get us all, ultimately, or many of us. Nelson, yeah. as always, thank you for the call. Thanks a lot, Rich. Nelson Thal, Cloak and Dagger, and uh, cloakanddagger.ca, and also, uh, you can listen to him Thursday nights at uh, bloomandsteel.com. Uh, all right. Uh, I owe you a break, Dan the Man. All right. Let's get out of that out of the way. We'll come back and continue our conversation on persistent jet contrails. Rosalind Peterson and Estee Miller, my guests. And uh, the line's available to you if you've seen some, I'm going to use the term, it's shorthand, chemtrail activity, and you'd like to discuss what you saw, I have questions or concerns about it, the phone line's available to you. Phone uh, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere, 866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Reverse speech analyst Wayne Nicholson uh, will join us on the 17th of this month, 17th of October, for a special program. He was uh, to join us actually tonight, uh, had uh, some surgery and uh, not able to join us uh, earlier, but 
Uh, he will be analyzing my reverse speech on the program. So a, uh, a window into my subconscious mind will be available to you on the 17th. That's what reverse speech does. When you play forward speech, you reverse it. It actually reveals what the subconscious mind apparently is really thinking. So we have that to look forward to. Uh, next week on the program, uh, Exorcist Reverend Gordon Williams uh, will be here. And uh, his phone, he says, is ringing off the hook uh, of people who are requiring exorcisms uh, for loved ones. Um, unimaginable in this day and age, you may think. However, he'll, uh, he'll give us the goods uh, next week. That's the Reverend Gordon Williams, a real live exorcist in our midst. Right now we continue to talk about uh, a persistent jet contrails, as they are now known. Uh, that is uh, to avoid, I guess, the eye-rolling and the ridicule uh, from uh, government officials. Uh, but uh, we've known them f- as chemtrails for some time, but that is now the uh, the appropriate terminology, so we should try to use it. Persistent jet contrails. Rosalind Peterson is uh, with us, and uh, also Estee Miller here to talk about uh, chemtrails. Now, the the skeptic uh, to either of you, Rosalind or Estee, would say that naturally uh, these contrails would... Um, would dissipate at different rates because you've got planes flying at different altitudes. And air traffic has never been denser than it is, uh, you know, now. So you've got different altitudes, that's different temperatures, thus you've got a a different rate of uh, dissipation. How do you respond to that? In other words, chemtrails are urban legends. Well, I have my photographs that I take, and uh, it's alarming uh, what I photograph on a daily basis. Um, I have clouds with blood red in them, uh, orange glowing uh, clouds. Uh, these trails seem to dissipate in uh, concussion of these clouds that are there. It's, it's alarming. Um, it's obvious to me that uh, these aren't, uh, you know, normal persistent jet contrails. They've obviously got a bit of cocktail added to them. Uh, what about reports of uh, uh, of people falling ill after a spraying? I seem to recall a fairly celebrated case up in uh, in Ontario. I, th- I think it was near Sudbury, Espanola. Uh, and the next day, after some pretty intense chemtrail activity, uh, a good number of school children uh, fell ill, flu-like symptoms, upper respiratory type ailments. Is that common? Well, what I noticed after uh, May fifteenth when the six jets sprayed over top of my grandson's ball field, I, I was ill. I actually made a point of going to our three main hospitals here in Victoria, checking the waiting rooms that were full, going to the medical clinics and asking some questions to the nurses, and I managed to talk to a couple of doctors. That week, all the hospitals and medical clinics were full of people with respiratory symptoms, exactly what I was suffering from, wheezing, sore throat, and um, streaming eyes. And my little grandson also had problems all during that week. So just imagine how the population of, uh, you know, smaller adults were affected here during that week. It was, it was extremely alarming. So is this an un- unintended consequence of this, this weather modification or geoengineering? Or the cynic in me says, uh, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. And you go back to the Tuskegee uh, airmen, uh, the Tuskegee, rather, the Tuskegee syphilis uh, experiments, uh, you know, North American governments, governments around the world have been known uh, 
to target their own citizens for experimentation. Uh, is this part of some, dare I say, New World Order uh, depopulation program? You want to answer that, Rosalind? Well, go ahead. My personal belief is, yes, it is. Um, the aerial attack, I, I believe we're under aerial attack here, especially on the island. Uh, the last three days, the skies have been actually red and glowing. Uh, this is not uh, natural. Um, this has to be intentional. It's not that we're getting random activity in our skies here. This is an onslaught of aerial activity. And I believe it's deliberate. Yes, I absolutely do. Well, one could argue that there are far more effective ways to uh, depopulate. Or is the idea, and I've, I've heard this stated by other guests on the program, for example, Dr. Len Horowitz, uh, who um, has written a, you know, extensively about toxic uh, warfare. The idea is that you don't want to kill people. You just want to keep them chronically ill so they become further dependent on pharmaceuticals. Your thoughts on that, either Rosalind or Este? Go ahead, Rosalind. Well, what I want to, what I'd like to say here is that when you put up, uh, for whatever reasons, barium, aluminum oxide, dust clouds, strontium, we do know that there's health effects associated with that. And with the number and scope of the experiments ongoing in the United States, uh, the population is is a is a guinea pig for this type of testing. Um, and most that the that the military and various agencies talk about is using rockets, uh, where they release canisters and then do that type of testing. However, I would like to quote something that might be of interest uh, for you. On May 23, 2006, um, I was interviewed by KNBC uh, in uh, Los Angeles, California. And also on the show was Professor Gregory Benford, of professor at uh, UC Irvine um, in the University of California uh, chain. And he works with the Department of Energy um, on weather research at the time. Um, the, um, um, what was said at this time was that the DOE doesn't, he, he stated that the DOE doesn't know of any jet spraying chemicals to affect the weather. However, he says, we will probably see it in the near future. Um, Gregory Benford, and this is a quote, he said, you've got to, in a sense, engineer all these so you get the right kind of clouds with the effects we want. Um, Paul Moyer, who was interviewing him, said, it's called geoengineering. Um, fighting global warming by putting a chemical dust into the atmosphere and reflecting harmful radiation back into space. Gregory Benford then says, quote, you could use barium oxide, for example, which makes big fluffy clouds. You could use tiny bits of aluminum and essentially manage the climate. So um, this, uh, they already know that barium um, oxide produces these um, these big fluffy clouds. So I am sure that this is part of what is going on. And I am sure that there's health effects from all the chemicals being used in the upper atmospheric tests, whether the jets are doing it or whether, um, uh, at, or the ones that we know where the rockets are doing this type of releases. So are they trying so, to forestall the effects of so-called global warming or are they causing it? 
I think that the jets, according to NASA and a book called Aviation in the Global Atmosphere, um, and also a Stanford University professor, all state that the jets um, are exacerbating global warming and making it much worse. And they're also, um, because a part of what the combustion process does is release water vapor into the atmosphere, water vapor is a greenhouse gas. So all of these various agencies have done the studies to know that this um, cloud cover produced by this excess water vapor is compounding uh, the problems with other greenhouse gases and also um, changing our climate and our weather. But are they doing it on purpose? Oh, I think absolutely. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Yes, I agree. To what end? So that they can usher in a global carbon tax and further control us, or or, or what? I'll answer that one. I am almost positive that there was a plan to warm up the Arctic and Alaska so that um, oil drilling um, could take place in the extraction of other natural resources, I've talked to people in Alaska who say that the potato farmers are moving in up there and that there's a lot of industry now that's moving up there because it's warmer. The um, Shell Oil, uh, BP, in the Arctic are all making agreements to go in and do um, uh, natural gas and oil extraction up there. And the military is absolutely delighted because now they can get through those areas in the winter areas as well. So the warming of those areas is very important, and a Stanford University uh, professor admitted that aviation was the cause um, of, of uh, the major proportion of warming in both the Arctic and in Alaska, and that studies online too. Interesting. Except that I mean, this chemtrail spraying seems to be a worldwide phenomenon. Why would they be chemtrail spraying in Germany and Australia in order to warm up Alaska? We'll uh, answer that when we come back. Rosalind Peterson, California president and co-founder of the Agricultural Defense Coalition, and Estee Miller, professional photographer, professional special effects makeup artist, concerned grandmother. Chemtrails. Persistent jet contrails. And uh, we'll get to your phone calls as well on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. And to the phones we go. Alex is in Victoria, B.C. Good morning, Alex. Welcome. Hi. Hello there. How are you? Well, thank you. Good. Your question, comment for Rosalind or Este? Yeah, um, Este, I know of. I've, I've been speaking with her. Uh, I met her a few days ago through um, uh, Tone Western in New Zealand, and uh, she's putting together a World Anti-Chemtrail Day March, which we hope to have everybody in the world sort of converging on their legislatures and White Houses and 
parliament buildings, etc., House of Lords, and so on. Um, and we want to demonstrate against these and bring awareness to them. And uh, we're hoping that that happens in every city in the world because we do realize this is about population control. Um, there's little doubt about that in our minds. Um, in, and here in Victoria, British Columbia, um, I think uh, Estates Photography does a really, really good job of capturing uh, the scale of the stuff that we're being forced to breathe in and what they're uh, actually spraying on us while we're sleeping and what they're releasing into the oceans. Now, um, like Estate, I have a special effects background. I've, I've been doing uh, that in the movie business for 17 years, and I'm an on-set smoke guy. And uh, if I was to set up smoke around a perimeter, I might easily pick the spots that I see these military ships in the oceans surrounding Vancouver Island. And I've been getting up both um, at sunset and sunrise for months, since around May, like when she started to do this, I stepped it right up too. I'd been filming for about a year and a half. And then around May 9th, I saw um, on Mother's Day, I was walking with my mom on Ogden Point, I saw a, a, a plane go overhead and release a chemtrail, and there was this black stuff falling out of it and dribbling down out of the sky. And I said, they wouldn't even leave you alone today. And my mom said, no, no, um, I want to know what that black stuff is. And I said, yeah, well, me too. And uh, one morning, very shortly after that, I was driving home, and I saw this massive aerosol bank. It was black, and it was blowing down Cook Street, like we're talking below the tree line. And I wondered how they could have got that down under there. There was no, it was as if there was a fire up the street, but it was definitely this black aerosol stuff that was in the uh, chemtrails. And I got up in the morning from then on and started to film it, even though I just had surgery and I was supposed to be recovering from it after 12 years of needing spinal surgery. I didn't even care. I was just selfless. I have two children. I'm a single dad. And I got up in the morning and went up on top of the mountain and I was filming this stuff and it was just absolutely monolithic and overwhelming to see the entire lower mainland and uh, Vancouver Island uh, covered in different colors of fog. And um, I call them fog trails. I actually saw the source of them one day where there was five streaks in the ocean and there were naval ships out there. And also we've been, we've been observing them flying around in KC-135s uh, U.S. KC-135 and 110 military tankers, twin-engine jets and single-engine jets, and with, fitted with spray equipment. And uh, you can see these guys releasing this stuff, and then it turns into the black stuff we see in the sky. So it's aluminum oxide and then a bunch of other things. And um, so I'm watching them put this stuff into the ocean now, and when I got up there in the morning, um, I, I saw as the light got light enough to see, you could see fog everywhere, and it's just floating into our little children's open bedroom windows and covering their playgrounds and, you know, the school grounds. And there's a slime in this stuff um, that ends up on your face when you're filming or walking through it or whatever. There's a, a, a creepy, crawly kind of slime stuff, and it's very, it makes you itch and... And uh, we're also getting symptoms, like if there's a direct increase in correlation of our, our symptoms, like our 24-month flu symptoms, which we've had here for, you know, now several years. Um, and there's an increase in these symptoms uh, directly relating to the scale and frequency of the black chemtrails and aerosol assault on Victoria here.
Alex, uh, I, I want to uh, thank you for the call and a very um, a detailed description of what, what you've seen, and, and thank you. And I, you mentioned Este's uh, website. I want to give that out. It's at Este, esteskywatchvictoriabc.com, E-S-T-E-E-S, and then skywatchvictoriabc.com. And I've linked up that on uh, on my homepage as well at richardserrett.com. Uh, uh, has anyone ever reported... Some sort of a, because this is not just chemicals, there's some other biological agents in there as well, but has anyone ever reported things like, you know, polymers falling from the sky, plastic beads, that sort of thing? Uh, polymers in Victoria, yes. Um, up and down the island, from one tip to another, uh, people have uh, been emailing me, describing to me um, filament on top of all the trees and shrubs. If you look up, it's almost like massive spider webs all over the greenery. That's quite common here on the island now. What about dead birds? Uh, dead birds? I'm uh, a very avid outdoors person. I've noticed that the birds don't sing the way that they used to. Just before spraying, all the birds will stop. It's very eerie here on the island. It's like dead silence, and you don't hear any birds. Uh, our bee uh, population has been decimated here on the island this summer was one of the first summers I didn't have any bees in my garden. It was uh, quite heartbreaking. Uh, Rosalind, I want to make sure I have the, uh, the right website for you. Is it agriculturedefensecoalition.org? That's correct, yes. agriculturedefensecoalition.org. I've also linked up to that on my website. If you go to the uh, richardserrett.com and under tonight's uh, guests, just just click on Rosalind Peterson's name. It'll take you right, right to her website. Anyone working on some sort of a class action lawsuit at this point? Is that in the cards? Um, uh, no. Go ahead, Rosalind. Well, yes and no. Uh, some people have uh, considered it, but it's, it's, getting, it's getting the documentation to prove what they're spraying, and it's getting documentation that would hold up in court. And this has been quite difficult. However, um, if uh, people are interested in exploring this a bit more, uh, the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy um, have been using jet fuels for obscuration purposes. And so one of the things that um, the Pentagon and a lot of reports that are online talk about is um, the using the jets and the fuel in jets to produce these clouds, um, and they call them obscuration clouds, so that uh, they can hide things or conceal different things or to improve communication systems. And that's becoming more common, and there's more information about that. And I do want to say that what everyone else is reporting that they're seeing falling from the sky, uh, what people are reporting as health effects are uh, not only being heard here, but in South America um, and in other countries as well. Italy um, is really hard hit with um, agriculture problems and, and jet contrails there. Um, so is uh, France and England. Uh, most of the NATO countries are involved in this. But I want to say that if you're suffering from long-term flu-like symptoms, if you've got, um, in other words, um, having trouble with lung function, um, exercise performance, tiredness, uh, susceptibility um, to respiratory infections, um, increased hospital admissions and emergency room visits. Uh, if you're suffering from eye irritation, skin irritation, 
um, itching, um, uh, in other words, uh, short-term memory impairment, um, uh, in other words, sore throats that never turn into, um, in other words, a cold, um, also headaches, dizziness, visual disorders, um, and uh, lethargy. Uh, all of this is being um, felt more and more by more people across the United States and people I talk to from other countries as well. And uh, so the experimentation above us uh, through the use of various types of chemicals and particles is having its effect on human health. And we do know that carbon black is uh, one of the things we think the black trails are composed of, um, and we see them here as well. And uh, it turns everything dark and leaves a film on, on cars and vehicles as well. So we're suffering from the bee decline, the bird decline, uh, various things happening in, in different areas of the United States as these programs roll out. All right, let's go to South Central Ontario and say hello to Hunter. Good morning, Hunter. Good morning to you, Richard, and your uh, guests. Um, I walked in on the conversation about a half an, a half an hour into it, so I wasn't really sure if um, I was dialed into exactly what you guys were referring to, but um, I heard in, in, the, in major media uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, um, one time it was reported that um, they just came out and said that um, and they sort of named, I believe it was, uh, if not CIA, but uh, uh, something of that nature, um, had dusted three major North American cities. Um, they named um, Winnipeg, St. Louis, and there was a third one, I, which I don't remember. And you know, they just uh, came right out and said um, they were conducting experiments on the public uh, just as though they were um, lab rats, uh, you know, no different than the Nazis did in World War II. And, um, of course, this is one of the kind of stories that if it actually does uh, manage to leak out through major media, that it doesn't last 24 hours on there, and it just the story just disappeared. But it was reported. I've got a... Um, a relative that lives in uh, Winnipeg, and they've just had a rash of cancers throughout their lives, and so uh, you know, just you know, the fact that they're these guys, um, your people are reporting that they're uh, releasing these aluminum agents into the um, uh, environment. That's like totally insidious, but I think uh, we must be talking about something quite similar. Rosalind, uh, does that does that sound um, uh, uh, plausible? Do you recall that or or Este? Well, in the fifties, um, the CIA conducted experiments in Winnipeg. Yes, I forget how many times. I think it was something like thirty-six times to try to induce cancer on the population in Winnipeg. That was in the late fifties, I believe. I don't know the exact date, but this is quite common uh, for the government to treat us as lab rats. It's not definitely not uncommon. Um, Another thing that's been happening here on the island that's been a source of alarm for a lot of people is the noise frequency that uh, we're experiencing in the air. Uh, there was a couple of uh, times through the city that people in the downtown area had their hands to their ears. It almost created uh, mass panic in uh, certain areas of Victoria. There's a YouTube video out on that. 
And the last two nights here on the island, uh, we've had a lot of uh, frequency in the air as well, a lot of people complaining about headaches, uh, buzzing in their ears. So, I mean, there's different forms of torture, I guess, that we're being experimented on. And uh, is it right? No, I absolutely think it's uh, terrible what's happening. Our children are getting subjected to this. And what right does the government have to inflict us with all these kind of um, experiments? Guatemalan president uh, just the other day, I believe, accused the U.S. CIA of, of, of uh, a campaign of aerial spraying on its population, herbicides yes. and pesticides. And so, what, um, what is happening here? Like, what uh, what is happening to the world? Um, are we are we are they trying to annihilate us, or we're being experimented on? For what purpose? When do these experiments stop? When do we just start? Uh, you know, being one world, one planet, that we can just all exist in harmony. This isn't, uh, it's not happening. Well, some might suggest that's the end game: One world, one planet. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, take a time out. We'll come back. Rosalind Peterson and Este uh, is uh, with us. We're discussing chemtrails, or as they're known today, persistent jet contrails. And again, phone lines available to you. For uh, questions or comments for Rosalind and Este Miller, 416-360-0740, toll-free from Maine to Minnesota and Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 866-744-740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. All right, back to the phones for Este Miller and Rosalind Peterson. George is in Toronto. Your question, comment on chemtrails, George. Hi, Richard. Hello. Yeah, um, on the 21st of June this year, I photographed, uh, I'll call them chemtrails, because I think that's what they are, um, in the shape of a starfish. It looked like it was around downtown Toronto. And this was just a few days before the, uh, what, was the G8 or G20 summit there. I wonder if there's any connection. Any connection. Well, uh, Rosalind Oreste, is, uh, is it, in your, in your experience, it, is it likely that whoever's doing this spraying, you mentioned the military, they would uh, perhaps, here I am maybe blue-skying it, uh, pun intended, uh, spraying some sort of, uh, I don't know, pacifying agent uh, before some gathering such as the G20? Is that, is that possible? Go ahead, Rosalind. Um, it's quite possible. I don't know because I don't, have any, uh, I don't have any direct proof that that has happened. However, many people suspect that it is, but uh, until I can come up with, uh, in other words, some direct evidence, um, I hate to go down the speculation path. Um, what I can say is that uh, the jets that fly here consistently were never seen here um, prior to the late 1980s. Uh, we didn't have persistent jet contrails in the sky. We had beautiful blue skies. We had white, puffy clouds. Uh, we didn't have the health effects that we are seeing now. And when I was growing up on a, on, a, on a farm, we were outside all the time. And the photographs that we took, and I was a tennis professional for many years, and we took a lot of photographs uh, during the course of a year outdoors. And even in researching old weather books with color photographs, they don't show these 
persisting contrails, they don't show the skies with white haze. Um, the skies were much bluer. So uh, when you go back in history and start to do some research, you find that this is a relatively new phenomenon. And also, um, jet engines um, weren't flying in the United States until uh, some time after World War II. So when anyone says, well, that this is historical and that these, this type of, of condition um, goes back to 1919, there's no possibility. Uh, they didn't even have jet engines, and they didn't have the capability to get as high. Um, and the equipment and all these other things. So this is a relatively new phenomenon in our lives, and it's getting much worse because rarely now do we have clear blue sky days and normal just fluffy clouds um, in our skies. So it's it's a very big difference. What I'm noticing as well, and I'm sure everyone else out there has noticed, it's a conditioning that we're getting in our advertisements now. Commercials have um, chemtrails in them or persistent jet contrails. A lot of the um, General Motors commercials, um, BMW, a lot of the car truck advertisements, all of them have persistent jet contrails in their skies now. It's, um, it's hard to see any advertising commercials on television these days without persistent jet contrails in them. Uh, in the last several years, we've heard about the emergence of a strange new uh, disease ailment uh, the, the sufferers uh, take their their symptoms and complaints to their physicians often they're ridiculed and laughed at it's called Morgellons and I'm wondering uh, whether there is an if you heard because uh, I've had Morgellons researchers on the show and they they alluded to a possible connection between uh, the, some sort of aerial spraying and the strange Disease is there a connection between Morgellons disease and persistent jet contrails? In well, your... I'm sure Rosalind uh, could probably answer that as well. I'll just say that I know two people here on the island with Morgellons, and uh, it's a horrible thing to see. And their relation, they believe, is uh, related to the aerosol spraying here on the island. Um, I don't. I don't know because I'm not an expert on Morgellons. There's other people that would know more about it than I do, so I don't. I I don't know. I just couldn't answer that question for you. Just received an email from a, a listener who says that Canada has a Weather Modifications Act. I'm just trying to, to uh, quickly look it up here online. He says if you if you actually uh, search it that way, uh, acts and weather modification. Uh, are you, either of you aware of Canada's modification? Well, I guess Estee, you're the uh, the Canadian here in the, on the panel. Uh, are you aware of our our modification act up up here in Canada? Uh, no, I'm not, Richard. Rosalind, are you aware of? Uh, is there a similar? Is there a, a, a weather modification law or bill in the United States? Um, well, there's U.S. Senate Bill 601 which wants to um, allow experimental weather mitigation and modification by anyone at any time with no government or um, no public consent or prior notification. Now, in most cases in the United States, anyone can modify our weather and is, and I've documented a lot of that um, on, on the website. 
but I can tell you that there is what uh, that American companies are modifying the weather in um, 50 states or 50 countries, and that some of the weather modification is being done in Canada. So this is in the hands of, in, in some cases, private enterprise, private corporations that are doing this. That's right. Without any, any oversight. That's correct. Um, any individual, private company, private corporation, weather modification company, um, state, county, city, um, any government agency can modify the weather in this country without um, having to go to the public for even consent, uh, debate, or public notification. And there are more than 60 ongoing weather modification programs that I do know and can document from government records that are currently ongoing every year in the United States. Who are your friends on, on Capitol Hill and or likewise, Este, who are your friends either uh, in the B.C. legislature or up in Ottawa who are simpatico, I'm talking about elected officials, who believe you, uh, I've looked into this, are concerned about it, and are speaking out about it. Do either of you have any allies in high places? Um, the only one I've been able to find across Canada, and <laughs> this is the truth, is Jane Sturk here, one of our local MLAs. She's invited me to come on board um, her uh, team and work on clean air policies. But uh, no one else is uh, receptive at all to what's <laughs> happening in our skies. Has she actually used the, the chemtrail word? Or, uh, no. 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 And, Rosalind, what about you? Any, any uh, uh, state senators or, or um, a congressman? Um, congressman, um, U.S. Congressman Dennis Kucinich, did refer to this several years ago, but he's had to be silent because once the military, um, under the rules, uh, brief him um, on classified material. He can no longer speak about it, so he no longer talks about the subject. On As far as anyone else, because the word chemtrail is used and our government agencies and the military all claim that this is a conspiracy theory and that everything's normal and nothing is going on, no elected official at this time will touch it with a 10-foot pole. All right, let's say hello to uh, Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Richard. I'll be brief because I know you, there's not much time left. But I just want to say to thank these women for coming forward. I've been noticing these for, for years, uh, especially in the Toronto area. Um, we recently went on a trip to Florida. And my husband and I took pictures in every state on the way down of, of, of the trails. Until we got to Florida, we didn't notice any. But one night we were out... <clears throat> And in the moonlight at night, you could see that they'd sprayed in the, at night, and the sky was just filled with them. But, you know, and the other thing I want to mention is my husband is a letter carrier, and sometimes in the mornings when the, they're all in very early, um, after they've done their walks, they all notice they have orange stuff on their boots. And they've, they, they mention it to each other. They, there's a lot of uh, carrier, you know, letter carriers, and they're saying, what is this stuff we get on our shoes? It's orange and it's sticky. And, you know, the old carriers that have been doing it for the job for 30 years don't remember getting it, like, until recently, like until the last, say, until since the 80s they started getting it. So I just thought I'd mention that. Thank you very much. All right, Kathy, thank you for that. Rosalind, Oreste, any comments further? 
on that uh, particular call. Yes, um, uh, we're finding that in upstate New York <laughs> right now. Uh, same thing. Yeah, same thing in Victoria. It almost looks like a dust of, you, you'd think it was pollen on your windshield, but it's, it's glued to your windshield. It's not pollen. So same thing here. You see, I, I don't understand how it is that we can't, uh, for example, you know, gather this evidence. We've got this residue. Uh, we've got, if we can get a, a, a chemical, rep, uh, you know, a lab report on it, then uh, if someone's breathing in this into their lungs and they get sick, there would be then traces of this. We could trace, you know, the, who's producing these chemicals, uh, if someone can produce, you know, video or, f- or photographs, uh, you know, of these planes flying overhead and spraying this stuff. Uh, you get enough people coming forward saying, I'm sick, and this is, you know, we believe this is what caused it. Why can't we get some action on this? It just seems so so obvious to me, you know, that the evidence is tangible. Well, if I, I agree with you. It puzzles me, too. Um, I've had direction on how to do water samples for the island here. I do know that there's a newspaper, um, Pacific uh, Press, that are doing water samples at the moment, too. So hopefully we'll have something valid that we can bring forth and something can be done about it. All right, Doug is in Indiana this morning. Good morning, Doug. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on with Estee Miller and Rosalind Peterson. Yeah, I'd like to talk about this contrails and... uh... Have you ever watched uh, archival footage of uh, large formations of uh, World War II uh, propeller-driven aircraft and flying under certain high altitude and uh, atmospheric conditions? You would swear they were spraying, like everybody, everyone says, that they're getting sprayed on up there in Canada. And I just believe that under certain hum- humidity conditions and stuff, a propeller-driven aircraft like a C-130 or something would would look just like it was spraying something and when it comes to the united states being a participant in inflicting uh, chemicals and stuff on one of their closest allies i just don't buy that i think canada has been with us when every major conflict and everything would you honestly believe that the united states would do something like that to its closest ally well uh Rosalind and, and, and Este, I mean, we, we, there's a long a litany, I mean, there's a, a, a documented, well-documented list of uh, experiments, and not only the U.S. government, but other governments targeting uh, their own people for experimentation. And this is a matter of court record. There's no denying it. From time to time, our governments will target us uh, unknowingly, or, uh, we, you know, we are unknowing participants in these experiments. So, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how else to answer, Doug, that, you know, who, people who, who don't believe that... Well, that... I've just seen an article in the APFN in regard to the five-year plan to conduct warfare tests on the Pacific Northwest. Now, that includes land and water-borne toxic chemicals and particles, such as the red and white phosphorus. Um, that would explain our red glow here in the skies in uh, Victoria. Um, the Navy's impact statement on this was it'll take an estimated 11 million marine mammals, but there's no take uh, for civilians. So what's the response to that? The, Doug's other point, uh, he's, he's left us uh, now, uh, and I, I alluded to it much earlier in the program, and that was um, 
the skeptics would say when you have planes flying at different altitudes, different altitudes, different temperature, therefore your, your dissipation rate would be different. But I think when you've got actual particulates falling from the sky, leaving a residue on, on uh, rubber boots or windshields or so forth, uh, obviously we're not dealing with your, your typical contrail. That's uh, correct. And they've, they've kicked up um, whatever they're spraying in our skies here in Victoria. We have black. It's a sooty black uh, spraying that they're doing now in our skies. And uh, is it just because our children are going back to school? Um, and then we have this forced vaccination program coming up. Is this all related? It makes you wonder. Any, uh, uh, I mean, has anyone found any correlation or any ingredients, for example, that might be contained in a vaccine, have they also found them in the in the chemtrail residue? Uh, Rosalind? Not that I know of, no. Okay. Uh, I mean, you're a president, co-founder of the Agricultural Defense Coalition. Uh, what are farmers reporting uh, to you in relation to chemtrails? Are they, are they reporting sick livestock? Are they talking about... Uh, uh, I don't know, their, their crops being adversely affected? What are they saying? Well, what's happening here with regard to agriculture is that the increasing cloud cover here is reducing the amount of photosynthesis. In other words, direct sunlight reaching the earth provides energy for crops to grow. And so the increasing haze and the cloud cover, um, even according to University of Illinois studies as well, shows that this will reduce crop production. The jets are definitely changing the climate and the weather, um, according to multiple NASA studies. Uh, so we do know this, and that there is an epidemic of um, rickets and um, other diseases that are um, from um, uh, lack of vitamin D. And that's another issue that is beginning to hit a lot of people. Uh, senior citizens are getting bone disease. Um, children are getting rickets, according to UC Davis, I'm sorry, UC Berkeley um, study and the CDC um, studies. So what's happening is that we're beginning to feel the effects from the lack of sunlight due to these man-made clouds and haze that's up there. So we're beginning to see the results of some of these experiments. All right, let's say hello to uh, Sydney. Good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, I'm so glad these women are talking about this. I experienced this in Florida. I had a home down there for 20 years up till about 99, and a year before that in 98, I woke up one morning and found huge uh, sticky strings, like 30 feet long, going from the roof of my house right over to a tree 30 feet away, People had this muck on their cars. Emergency rooms were filled. And it even was on the radio telling people not to go out. And it must have been the beginning of when they were doing this. It wasn't quite so refined. And it was just horrible, gloppy stuff on everything. I got some on my arm. I washed it right away. But for days, emergency rooms were filled. And this was in St. Pete, Florida, on the Gulf. And so after that, I looked it up, and I interviewed a reporter called William Thomas. And he had written a book uh, shortly after that called Bringing the War Home. And he did have a list of ingredients that were in these things that were coming down, and some of the ingredients actually were bacillus. 
they actually were viruses and bacillus were combined with other things. So I agree with these ladies. Yes, the lack of sun, what it's doing to the crops. Uh, people are getting sick. Yes, it's a depopulation, but also it's probably going to be a big money maker too because they can uh, stop. Uh, you know, they can uh, give countries droughts. In fact, about ten years ago, when uh, I think it was the Philippines, uh, somewhere in Malaysia, was covered with forest fires, and Russia offered them a typhoon. So yes, they are controlling the weather, and they said that years and years ago. But I'll never forget what a mess it was. It must have been at the beginning. It wasn't refined at all, and this glop was over everything. So at that point, it was easy to analyze what was in it. So good luck, ladies, and maybe you'd like to get in touch with William Thomas. He has written other books. He's an environmental investigator. Yes, uh, we've had... Uh, you can find him easily enough. But I know that they had viruses and various things that affected the heart and the lungs. I even have the list of them in a file. Uh, so if you ever want to get in touch with me, my number is 416... Well, Sydney, I, yeah, oh, I'd, I'd I ask, can't give it out, I guess. I'd ask that you don't okay. give it out over the well, air. But, uh, I've experienced this, and they mean to do it, believe me. All right, Sydney, thank you for the call. Uh, Estee Miller, Rosalind Peterson, uh, hold on. One final time out. We'll come back. A few questions remain as we discuss persistent jet contrails. Uh, Sydney mentioned uh, Will Thomas, uh, certainly at the, uh, the forefront of uh, chemtrail research. Also... Uh, has written a great deal about the dangers of cell phones and uh, many other things. A fine investigative journalist and writer. And two terrific researchers in our midst right now, Rosalind Peterson and Estee Miller, as we uh, wrap the program up and uh, a few points remain on toxic warfare. Is that what we're talking about? Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The United States Air Force has stated that this whole business of uh, chemtrails in the sky is a hoax, which has been uh, investigated and refuted by many established and accredited universities, scientific organizations, major media publications. The British Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs has stated that chemtrails are not scientifically recognized. And the Canadian leader of the government in the House of Commons has stated that the term chemtrails is a popularized expression and there is no scientific evidence to support their existence. Rosalind Peterson and Estee Miller would beg to differ. They are my guests. Uh, Estee Miller's website, again, is estesskywatchvictoriabc.com. Estee is spelled E-S-T-E-E. So it's estesskywatchvictoriabc.com. Rosalind Peterson, California president, co-founder of the Agriculture Defense Coalition. Her website agriculturedefensecoalition.org. Uh, ladies, give us a, a call to action for concerned listeners that need a mission. What, what can they do? What should they do about this? 
Well, the World Anti-Chemtrail Day, November 20th, I urge everybody to get together worldwide and let's unite, uh, march to your legislature, get posters ready, and uh, let's, let's do something about this. Let's clean up our skies. Rosalind? I 100% support that, and we'll contact Esty later to find out more details so that we can join her here um, in the United States as well. I do want to say one short sentence here, and that has to do with uh, the Vietnam War. And during that time, we learned to modify the weather in Vietnam with our big um, jets, um, but they were prop planes. Not they weren't they weren't using jet engines, but uh, we also sprayed Agent Orange, and we perfected the art of spraying, and old photographs and video of the spraying of Agent Orange in Vietnam looks exactly like what the jets are spraying here today because the plume looks almost identical. A lot of people are very concerned about the uh, the oil dispersant that's being sprayed uh, over the Gulf, this Corexit, uh, which some are, are saying uh, it, it could be the new Agent Orange, and this stuff is, fa- is falling as rain thousands of miles inland and killing the weeds in places like Iowa. Uh, so it's just raining death <laughs> everywhere you look it's i my suggestion here in canada anyway uh we have municipal elections slated for october the 25th and uh, you've got uh, people uh who want to be you know your councillor and your mayor desperately you know coming to your door wanting your vote they want your they want to spend some time with you invite them inside i guess and and uh, sit down and talk to them about this and if enough people do that yeah. Uh, then at least at the municipal level, because that's the next election that's available to us uh, to, to voice our concerns, um, and make them aware that we know what's going on, we don't like it, and we want them to be aware and to do something about it. Absolutely. All right, Este, uh, a great pleasure, and uh, Rosalind, likewise, and thank you for uh, for spending some time with uh, with me tonight. It's a pleasure being here, Richard. Thanks, Rosalind. Good night. And thank you. Thank you both for having me on the show as well, and this is great. All right. Well, this will be uh, uh, one of many shows I, I, I hope uh, we'll do on persistent jet contrails. Rosalind Peterson, California president, co-founder of the Agriculture Defense Coalition. Este Miller, professional photographer, professional special effects makeup artist, and uh, angry grandmother. Uh, and uh, also, again, a special thanks to uh, Brian Holmes and his website, www.homestead.com. Dot ca. Yes, My thanks. Information there. Yes, indeed. My thanks uh, to uh, Dan Ellison for technical production. Uh, back next week again with the Reverend Gordon Williams, exorcist. Also, we'll uh, try and flag down the dinosaur hunter Bill Gibbons, just back from the UK and uh, a brand new book out on the elusive creature in uh, Africa known as Mokeli Mbembe. We'll talk to Bill about that. Big Halloween show coming up. More details to come. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.